the Silver Voices Project, which allowed for digitization and sharing of this archival audio, was made possible by a grant from the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, grant number MA 30190681192 So, let's see where you got that. Well, Jenny, let's uh, begin by uh, you telling us what are the first films that you remember seeing as a boy or the fragments of the film? Uh, the first film I remember uh, seeing when I was a boy was The uh, Great Train Robbery. Mm -hmm. It was shown in uh, the Knights of Columbus Hall in a little town called Pasco, Washington. And I had to cross the railroad tracks, I remember that night, quite well. They hung a sheet in the middle of the hall, and they projected the picture, and as we came in, we saw it backwards. So it was just a lot of images, and it was, uh, I remember the man uh, fired a gun, and someone in the projector, he had a blank, and he fired it, synchronized it, mm -hmm. and it scared the, uh, scared the wits out of us. Well. It was stormy that night. It happened to be. I, I'm not trying to make this dramatic, but I had to cross the tracks going back again. And it left a great impression in my mind. It looked so, it was so vivid. Mm -hmm. uh, this was around, oh, I would say, uh, seems to be around 19, I don't know, 10 or something like that. I don't remember the date. Then, uh, what other films do you remember seeing after that, up to the point where you actually became connected with the industry? Are there some that stand out in your mind as particularly? Well, I, 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 after I'd been connected with the industry, I remember The Hearts of the World, Griffith, and Broken Blossoms very well. Mm -hmm. And another film that stands out very vividly in my mind is Henry King's Tolerable David mm -hmm. with... Uh, uh, Bartholomew's. Mm -hmm. Now, but between 1910 and 1917, was there anything else that you saw as a boy that made quite an impression on you? Did you see Birth of a Nation? Did you see the Max Linder films? I, uh, I, I, I remember seeing the comedies, the, the Chaplin and the uh, comedies, uh, but I don't remember the titles so well, mm -hmm. but I remember personalities quite well in those early days, like Anita Stewart, um, uh, 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 James Cruz in the Million Dollar Mystery, mm -hmm. the serial with Margaret Snow. Uh, then I remembered uh, westerns. Uh, I've forgotten who played in Bronco Billy Anderson yeah. mm -hmm. in the William S. Hart uh, uh, westerns. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see many of the Tom Mix. I don't know how I missed those, yeah. but I did see uh, a lot of the early uh, 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 Pearls of Pauline. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I remember Margaret Snow very well. Uh, I thought Annie the Stewart was just the most beautiful thing on the screen. Then I caught some uh, 
Cecil High Collar films. The Cheat and one comedy he made, I've forgotten about uh, uh, Japanese coming over to this country and it was on his Hashimoto lot of... Togo? Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Hermosi Togo. Um, uh, the serials, uh, uh, what uh, was wonderful in those days, they would uh, leave, uh, you, when you walked out, you would be just oh, hanging on this string, you know, and you're waiting for the next episode. Uh, that's about all I remember in those early days, George. Now tell uh, me how you got, the, how you became connected with the industry, how did that come about? Well, I came down California originally to study aviation. Uh, my money ran out, so I had to go to work, and my first uh, job was the delivery boy on a little motorcycle for commercial photographer, uh, Raymond Stagg. S-T-A-W-G. He was very successful. I worked with him about three, four months, and uh, then I met a friend of mine uh, named Len Powers, who I had known up in the Northwest. Uh, he had come down earlier. Uh, he was working in the comedies, Max Sennett comedies, as a cameraman now. Mm -hmm. And he told me that I should try to get into the motion picture work and... Uh, be a photographer if I liked it. I asked him, well, I didn't know how to go about it, and I told him I just uh, uh, a delivery boy for a commercial photographer. Mm -hmm. So he told me to go to uh, some studio and ask for the head of the camera department. Uh, at that time, they were head of laboratory, too, mm -hmm. and get a job as an assistant. I went over to uh, the Jesse L. Lasky studios, and uh, I waited for a man by the name of Mr. Alvin Wyckoff, uh, who at that time was head of uh, the camera department, and also uh, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille's chief cameraman. I had waited, oh, quite a long time, two, three hours, and finally the gate man pointed him to me, and I went in and talked to him. He said, well, come on in, and what do you want, be a cameraman? I said, yes, I'd like to get an assistant. He said, well, I just put a boy to work uh, an hour or so ago. I said, here, I've been waiting here for two hours. He said, uh, you're, you're a little small, he said, to carry the cameras. He said, you know, uh, they're quite heavy. And you've got to carry the movie camera and then the still cameras. Well, I said, well, I think I can do it all right. And he said, well, I don't have a position open right now, but I can put you to work, if you don't mind, uh, down in the camera room. Uh, keeping it clean. Boys throw around uh, short ends of film and you know they're dangerous and the wrapping paper and I wish you'd take care of it and you could uh, clean the cameras, wipe them off as they come in and if there's an opening later on, well, you'd be the first to uh, uh, get on it. So I did, I accepted it. He says, I said, when do I start? He says, well, you're on the payroll right now. Ten dollars a week. I said, that's wonderful. So I went down and I remember the first man I met going down. His name was Harry Hollenberger, who later became one of uh, cameramen, a good cameraman here, Paramount, and he was a very good friend of mine. So I found out that he had just sold out a saloon, and he came down there <laughs> to, from, uh, to be a, take up the camera. He was assistant then. 
Well, I worked in the camera room for about uh, oh, three, four months, and Mr. DeMille uh, was using some extra cameras, it seems. I needed an extra camera, I'm assistant. Well, those are days before unions, mm -hmm. and they didn't have, uh, you couldn't just get an assistant immediately. So Mr. Wyckoff uh, thought of me, and he asked me up, and uh, my job was to put the number on the slate on it with a piece of chalk and hold it up in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Well, I was a little embarrassed, frightened, I didn't know. I got in front and held this uh, slate. and But in those days, I'd, I'd always smoked cigars. Somehow I found money to buy a cigar, and I'd have this big cigar in my mouth with this slate in front, and I looked bewildered, and it uh, was quite comical. And Mr. DeMille saw this strange face, and every time a scene number come up, and I would be peeking over and wonder what's going on. And, and he said, Alvin, he says, uh, who's that? He said, well, it's Jimmy. He says, uh, how? Uh, he's uh, one of the extra assistants to put on. He says, uh, he looks very funny. He gives me a laugh. He says, uh, keep him on with me. So that's I became the, one of the permanent assistants on his staff. And then... Uh, what was the very first film you worked in that you held this slate for? Do you remember what it was? I, I think it was... Uh, was it DeMille production? DeMille production. I... Keep on. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep on. It was a DeMille production. I don't exactly know what the name of it was. It would have been about uh, when? Well, that would be around about uh, latter part of 18 or early part of 19. Uh, I think it was... Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, the Devil's Stone? The Whispering Car? Whispering... No, wait a minute. It wasn't... With Thomas Meehan in it. Was it Thomas Meehan? Theodore Roberts? Uh, it's right after... It wasn't male and female, was it? No, it was before, before that. Yes, I, I, I was before that. Mm -hmm. I was, I was on male and female. I remember that. I could, uh, I was quite well on that instant. Mm -hmm. um, Here's a list of some of these things. This came from Alvin Wyckoff before he died. So oh. The dates when he started these various things. It was. Uh, that might refresh your memory. Oh, for better or for worse. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. For better or for worse. That had glorious one. Yeah, that, that's it? right. Yeah. That was just right after uh, the, the Squaw Man, you mm -hmm. see, because that was the second time. I think they made the Squaw Man. Yeah, that was a remake. That's right, yeah. remake. Mm -hmm. I think it was, that's right. Mm -hmm. It's Yeah, January, I see. Mm -hmm. For better or for worse. Mm -hmm. You can hold this if you want. Oh, you fine. Working on more of those? And then I, then I remember going uh, uh, on Male and Female. It was taken from this uh, novel, I think, called The Admirable Quentin. Yeah, okay. um, well, in those early days, uh, yeah. they didn't have a camera machine shop. Uh, we used the Pathé and the Bell and Howe cameras. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Wyckoff had the Bell and Howe, and also he had his favorite Pathé he liked. Um, we used to have sent it down to Los Angeles called the uh, Los Angeles Motion Picture Equipment Company. Mm -hmm. It was owned by Mr. a man named Mr. Paulus. Uh, so we sent the Pathé down to have it clean and I remember it came back on a Saturday, and we left Sunday morning on a little yacht that belonged to Mr. Frank Garbutt, who was uh, part owner or owned stock in the company mm -hmm. at the time. 
and we sailed over there. I remember Gloria Swanson, Mr. DeMille, Mr. Wyckoff, and Mr. Garbert, and Thomas Meehan, and Lila Lee. Oh, it was a terrible storm going across the uh, channel there uh, to Santa Cruz Islands, opposite uh, from uh, Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Everyone got seasick, and uh, we finally got to the islands. And uh, on Monday morning, we set up the cameras, and oh my, a terrible thing happened. Mr. Wyckoff looked through the camera, and then he called me, he said, where's the lens? <laughs> well, they had taken the lens out and forgot to put it back in the camera. And I didn't inspect the camera. I thought, it's all clean, and just took the cases and yeah. sent them along. Good thing we had the Bell and Howe. Yeah. They, they could go to work, but they had known it, and they sent the lens over to Santa Barbara, which was brought over uh, immediately uh, that day uh, by a uh, speedboat. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's how I remember that uh, instant. Mm -hmm. What uh, was your specific job when you became assistant in here? What were you doing at this time, for instance? What did you do on a male and female? Uh, hold a slate. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we're continuing to do that. That's right. Uh, the hold a slate. And when Mr. DeMille rehearsed the scene, I had to crank a, a little counter. It was called a Vidor counter. And I would have to learn to grind uh, 16 frames per second mm -hmm. and when he stopped and I would have to give him the footage mm -hmm. he want to know uh, how long the scene ran mm -hmm. so besides uh, writing the slate numbers down and keeping the report I had to turn this uh, crank mm -hmm. uh, that was the beginning of learning to how to turn a, uh, 16 frames mm -hmm. yeah. uh, did that uh, location trip go fairly smoothly from that time on, outside of the storm or not? Yes, it went quite smoothly, as I remember. Uh, I think it was, uh, there's a scene where Thomas Meehan supposed to had shot a leopard, if I remember. And, of course, Mr. DeMille didn't want to stuff leopard. Everything was had to be real. So I think they got a leopard. And they, I remember the first aid man uh, that was along, and he chloroformed the leopard. Mm -hmm. He took a sponge and tied it on a stick put in a cage. And he pronounced, well, the animal's not dead, but he's breathing, you mm -hmm. see. So Mr. Meehan, I think, had to carry him on his shoulder. Well, I never seen such a frightened person because that leopard's muscle must have uh, reflexed or something. And it's, he just dropped that tiger and, oh, he ran. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very funny instance. Um, now, when we came back, uh, they had made a dissolve. Uh, I didn't know what dissolves were in those days. Uh, anyway, Mr. Wyckoff bought a new aluminum tripod. It was a, a tripod head was made of aluminum, mm -hmm. and, he, and it was the first one made of aluminum. The others were all cast iron or something, mm -hmm. and they used to break. So he said, "Be sure and keep this tripod head clean." Mm -hmm. And I used to polish it. Oh, <laughs> beautifully. <laughs> Well, we gone to lunch. I came back, and I looked at, uh, happened to look at the tripod, and I saw writing all over it. 
a lot of FD, FI, and FO, and FI, and DES, and, and then figures like 32 to 46, and out at uh, 57, uh, in at uh, 58, or something like this. And I said, oh, God, who's been riding all over this tripod? So I got the rag, and I wiped it all off. Because I thought Mr. Wyckoff see this, I, uh, he wouldn't like it. So somehow or another, Mr. DeMille stopped work uh, after lunch, and we put all the equipment away. The next morning, brought the equipment. I set the camera up and put it on the set. And, and uh, I heard Mr. DeMille says, all right, Alvin. He said, we'll make that scene, the rest of that scene now. And I noticed Mr. Wyckoff came looking at the tripod. And he looked very concerned after a moment. And he called me over and he said, Jimmy, is this my same tripod I've been using? I said, absolutely. He says, uh, you sure now? I said, yes. I said, I kept it clean. He said, well, where, what happened to these numbers on there? Oh, I said, I wiped them all off. Uh, he said, oh, my God, my God. He says, uh, CB, he used to call him CB. He says, I gotta go down to the camera room. He says, I'm in trouble. And I'm in great trouble. Ran down to the camera room, the dark room, and I went down with him. And, and the, it was, uh, we used an orthochromatic film then, so you could use a red light. And mm -hmm. I see him going through and looking at the film. And I noticed some had little square frames. But what happened was that they're making a dissolve mm -hmm. of uh, Gloria Swanson and B.B. Daniels arguing and they dissolved two cats fighting mm -hmm. well what I had done I wiped off all the uh, record of the mm -hmm. dissolve when it would come in change to the cats and change back to them mm -hmm. well we had to do it all over again and I thought well gee I guess I'm did a terrible thing I felt very bad about it and I told Mr. Wyckoff about it and Mr. DeMille was very mad and uh, however uh, one thing about Mr. Wyckoff, he was very fair to all the boys that worked with him. Mm -hmm. He said, well, Jimmy, he says, I should have told you, uh, told you that. He says, uh, it's not your fault, really. He says, uh, next time <laughs> you see any numbers writing anything, just don't wipe it off. <laughs> so I was kept on. Uh, Do you remember working on that scene with the, uh, with the lion? The, the leopard. Oh, the lion. Yes, yes they had in the pits. Mm -hmm. They had a. They had an old tank. I remember it was uh, oh at one place about eight or ten feet deep, uh, and they had the lions down in this tank. Uh, they had one lion. I forgot what name it was. It was. Supposed to be a tame one, but they had a couple others in there. It wasn't so tame, and they leaped clear out. Mm -hmm. They leaped clear out of there. Um, I remember that quite well. Um, I remember the the tame one they had. I remember Gloria Swanson had to lie down with this tame tiger. I forgot what his name was, Teddy or Leo. I've forgotten a, a lion's name. But with this lion, Pong, I still have that still picture at home. You do? Yes. And I thought it was just wonderful that here is this Gloria Swanson would lie there and let this animal just snarl around. The trainer would stand on one side and uh, poke a chair at him, and he'd, you know, just growl. It's quite exciting.
While we're talking about male and female, I wish you'd put on the tape the story about uh, staying overnight on the set. Oh, <laughs> well, George, you know, making ten dollars a week in those days, it was a lot of money. That's before taxes, and and uh, you know, uh, I got along all right. I had to watch myself very close. I lived downtown in a little hotel, had a room there. As I remember the over Angel's Flight. It's called the Patterson. And I used to come to work in a streetcar. Uh, the streetcar used to run as far as uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard to Highland and then or La Brea it was and turn around and go back. So uh, Mr. DeMille would come to work. Uh, his hours were 10 in the morning, lunch around 3, and we wouldn't get through till 9, 10 at night. Well, I had to take care of loading all the cameras. He always had two or three cameras on the set. Uh, the cameraman in those days also shot the stills. Mm -hmm. So I had to load the stills, make the records, and keep the footage, and load, them, uh, load the film, and unload, got it ready for the laboratory. By that time, I would sometimes be after midnight, mm -hmm. and I would uh, miss my streetcar. Mm -hmm. Well, Hollywood in those days, uh, you didn't have a, a moderate price uh, rooming place or any, uh, so I couldn't afford to stay in a hotel like that. Uh, it cost two, two and a half a night, and I was without a place to sleep. So I wandered back to the studio and go on the stage and wander around and I looked at the sets and here was this beautiful <laughs> set with a beautiful bed and bathroom, all oh, beautiful. Uh, and the Gloria Swanson had played scenes in it and I thought, well, heck, it's wonderful, it's summer and it's open stages. Uh, I just crawled under the covers and went to sleep there. The watchman would come along and He'd uh, hear me, I guess, saw me there, and he says, Hey, what are you doing here? And I told him, I said, Well, look, I miss a streetcar, and uh, <laughs> I'm in a place to sleep. Uh, if you don't mind, well, just wake me up around about 6.30 before everybody comes. And he said, All right. So every time I would be late, well, I sleep around at different sets. So I get up early in the morning, and I would punch, I'd go out across the street and there used to be a place called Mother, we call her Mother, uh, someone had a place you could get coffee in, in the morning and the people would get coffee and she made wonderful donuts. I used to go over there and get my coffee and two donuts, ten cents. Then I'd punch in and it was always early and somebody said, gee, this boy is uh, right on the nose. Every morning he comes to work early. And told Mr. Mill about it, and Mr. Mill thought very well of it. And he said, "Well, he says he's good work. He says give him a raise, Alvin." So he gave me another two dollars and a half week raise. See? <laughs> Jimmy, excuse me. You spoke of loading the cameras. How much film would you put in the camera? Well, uh, they're only 400-foot magazines. Now the Pathé magazines, uh, they came separate. We load the 400-foot in one magazine, and we thread it, and the take-up was uh, separate. 
where the Bell and Howe magazine was a separate chamber, but all together it's like the magazine of the Mitchells today, only mm -hmm. 400 feet. Yeah. Okay, then what did you work on after that? Did you continue to do the mill productions in here? No, I tell you what, I forgot, I skipped something. And one right. one time I did do a picture, I was assistant. Uh, there was a Japanese cameraman. His name was Henry Kotani. He was in uh, uh, he, the Typhoon he, as an actor. Yes, he was an actor we, first. Yes, we, ha we have a friend of the Typhoon. Yes, and he was an actor. And then he later became a cameraman, and he worked with Sasu, and he worked with uh, Mr. Wyckoff and, and Mr. DeMille. Now, he, they made him a cameraman, and I worked with him on one picture. It was a picture with uh, Lila Lee called Puppy Love. Oh, yes. Yeah. A man named R. William Neal directed it. Uh -huh. Now, I think that was before. I think it was, too. I went, uh, they sent me out. I can find the data. Yeah. Later. Mm -hmm. uh, they sent me out with him. I did that one picture. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I've forgotten about that. Is Katoni still around? He's, he lives in Japan now. Oh, and uh, he, he, he went back, oh, in the early 20s. Mm -hmm. I think he went back, oh, maybe 22 or 3. In the, uh, in the typhoon which we have at, at Eastman House, He's the chap uh, who goes to the gallows in places, Sashihayakawa. He was a good little small actor. Man. Yeah, small man. Mm -hmm. And they thought that I was his brother. Mm -hmm. uh, very fine cameraman. He used to be very good on trick stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, all the cameramen had to do their own tricks in those days. Right in their camera. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the, the, the optical printers as they have today. Yeah. Um, my, they used to make split screen and all this kind of work. and they. And the film would be rewound, many exposures on, on, on one piece of film. Mm -hmm. uh, often, quite often, uh, uh, after every picture, oh, I, I'm quite sure, after every picture, there'd be cans of film that we would have to shoot other dissolves in. And there were just a slip of paper with the numbers on it in the can, and uh, they'd have to wait two, three weeks sometimes till the other part of the scene would come, mm -hmm. and we'd put them in the camera. And uh, they make the films. Mm -hmm. Came out very successfully. Yeah. Did you ever play bits in any of these films, Jimmy, or not? No, I never have. I, 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 I never played bits. I was an extra once mm -hmm. uh, in a, a film that a man named Jerry Storm directed. It was the old, over there in the old uh, Georgia Street studio. It's over there near the car barns. Mm -hmm. It's over on oh, Georgia and street someplace I remember mm -hmm. just for one day mm -hmm. what was the film do you know I, I don't remember the yeah. film it was uh, I remember the director and it was uh, Jerome Storm and the uh, star was her name was Edith Bennett who later married Mr. Fred Niblo mm -hmm. yeah. she was uh, mm -hmm. yes, I think I can find it that was probably yeah. that film was probably made for hints yes it probably was yeah. yes Edith Bennett uh, okay now after male and female what did you do any more films there? No, I think I went from male and female. I went to work with, uh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yes. I was with Kotani, and uh, he was shooting second camera, a second camera with the George Melford on a film called Toll in the Hills with uh, Robert, Warwick. Robert Warwick and uh, Warwick. 
George Melford directed it. I remember we went along as a second unit camera. Uh, a man named Harry Perry, no, Paul Perry, photographed it, and Harry, his brother, was his assistant. And I remember going way up to Idaho. Uh, we were on the Indian reservation called Kamei. And we packed horse back. A whole troop must have been about 40, 50 people through the, I think, the Selway National Forest. And we photographed up there. That was when Mr. Warwick, Major Robert Warwick, he was known then, and uh, Gloria Swanson, they were very much interested in each other. As a matter of fact, I think they were quite madly in love. And she had a French bulldog. And somehow or another, he took it along <laughs> on this trip. Mm -hmm. And I remember him carrying this bulldog on a saddle horse on this trip. I can imagine he could, oh, I'll never forget. He was a wonderful man. Well, after that, I worked with George Melford for a while. Then I did some work. And then I became a second cameraman. I think it was with Urban Woollett was directing. Then I worked with Hal Rawson as a second cameraman. What was the uh, on the picture? Was it a, anything to do with submarines? Or? No, it was a picture. It was a western. Mm -hmm. Who was in it? Remember? I've forgotten who was in it. No. Okay, then what? what no, the Rawson film I shot second was with a man named Frank O'Connor directed it with the. Uh, May McAvoy, I think, was a star. Yeah. Now, I don't think I did more than one or two film with Hal. Then I, then I, then I went work with Bert Glennon, mm -hmm. a second cameraman with George Melford. Mm -hmm. uh, we were working on a film I remember with Dorothy Dalton. First, it was uh, I don't know what Dorothy Dalton film came first or a picture called Ebb Tide. With uh, there was a picture called Ebb Tide. Was that based on the Stevenson story, the Ebb Tide? Yes, no. I think it was. Mm -hmm. We well, went over to Catalina. No. Uh, the girl, Jackie Logan, Logan no. was in it. No. I don't know the man's name. I remember. I think Raymond Hatton was in the film. No. Now, but I did another before that with uh, Dorothy Dalton. And um, what was that about? Do you remember? It was uh, something about uh, look. I think it was a the Klondike kind of a Klondike oh, film. Uh, um, Carmen of the yeah, Carmen of the Carmen of the Klondike was it? Something, something like, like that. Dorothy Dalton. Mm -hmm. Well, Brick Lennon got ill, and uh, Mr. Melford thought that I could uh, carry on while he was ill. And I, I shot uh, some of the scenes in that film. That's the first time I had taken pictures on my own. This, which is, it, this, is this the Dalton one you're talking Dalton, about? Dalton, yes. The Carmen of the Klondike. I think Carmen Klondike. Yeah. I think that's what's it. Yeah. Then I remember Ebb Tide. We were over in the Isthmus, Catalina Islands.
had a rainstorm and uh, they shot the picture and somehow or another Mr. Melford asked me the next day how I thought the scenes were. He thought they were very good. And I said, we called him Uncle George. So, oh, Uncle George, wonderful man. Made a lot of noise, but gee, he was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I said, Uncle George, I said, I, I, I think they'll, they'll, you won't see anything on that film. He said, what you talking about? He got angry because I told him that. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't think you see anything. Because last night when they were shooting it, all I could see was like a white sheet. There was a lot of light on the water coming down. He said, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy. Sure enough, next day they got a wire, had to remake everything. And that was what it was. So he, then he had quite a bit of respect for me then, and he would uh, ask me these things, because we got along very fine. Excuse me, Jimmy, I just located yes. the titles of... Uh, Three Manny McAvoy films that Rawson photographed. One was called, these are 1921 and early 22. Uh, Everything for Sale, A Virginia Courtship, and A Homespun Vamp. Was it one of those? It's probably one of those three. I think it was the very first one. Everything for Sale? Is that Frank O'Connor? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. O'Connor directed all three of them. Yeah, because I, I remember that's the first one that Hal worked on. Yeah. And it was, it was O'Connor's first picture. Frank O'Connor. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, uh, George, get back to this. Uh, uh, George Malford. So he liked me because on this uh, location called Toll in the Hills, uh, I remember we worked on the Indian Reservation. This is a very funny instant. Now, I'm not a, uh, really a drinking man, I was, you know, but I, I, I bought a little bottle of whiskey someplace in a town called Lewiston, Idaho, uh, a little pint, and uh, I put it in my bag. I thought sometimes if I got cold or something, I would have a, a little nip. I never drank very much, and uh, but on the Indian Reservation, you're not supposed to have liquor. Well, that's right, yes. You see? But I wasn't aware of that. It's against the government rules. That's right. Uh, but Uncle George somehow heard that I had this little bottle of liquor. <laughs> and boy, I went up one day that I got cold I thought, and was gone. And George said, now look, you know, you're going to get in trouble for carrying liquor. He says, good thing I took it away. See, nobody finds it. <laughs> now, I don't know. That was just a funny instant. It was just an innocent thing, you yeah. see. But... He laughed and the, oh, he thought that was funny that uh, I didn't know it, but but it must have tasted very good to Uncle George <laughs> so, after a hard working day and walking around those hills. And the uh, our location man, the business manager, his name is Mr. Horwitz. I've forgotten his first name now, but he had never seen Indians before, and these Indians up there. They're quite some of them quite wealthy. I guess they own timber and land. And we had them set up a big powwow, and and they had to furnish lunches for them and dinner. And so he heard that they like fish. So he bought cases and cases of canned salmon and canned fish for them. Mm -hmm. And they said, "We don't like canned fish. 
we want steak. <laughs> he said, if you don't give us steak, he says, we won't work. So he had to go around and get a lot of, they killed some cattle on there. So uh, during this meantime now, I, to supplement my uh, uh, earnings, I, I bought a little still camera, a 5x7, an Eastman View camera I bought downtown in one of the uh, pawn shops and uh, I started to learn taking pictures with it I would watch Alvin Wyckoff how they would make stills and and uh, I'd try it and so I got quite good at making uh, portraits and still pictures and I used to make them for the uh, bit players and you know, actors. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't have agencies in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, each studio had their own casting office, and if someone would come there, they would bring their own picture, mm -hmm. uh, usually eight by ten, and they were right on back, how high they were, you know, weight and so on, complexion and all that information. So I used to make uh, a little extra money in making pictures uh, uh, for these uh, extra people. Someone play Indian parts, cowboys, and they have them in their uniforms and, and I learned how to make uh, good portraitures mm -hmm. and I used to make uh, title backgrounds in those days we used to have uh, a background the subtitles they call them and we make diffuse focus subtitle it might come then came the dawn we'd uh, get a, a, a sunset shot a kind of early morning and soft focus and they would put the title and and uh, a silk hat and pair of gloves or something for uh, the evening things and uh, made, I made these illustrated uh, titles for these uh, different pictures I work on mm -hmm. and Mr. Woollett liked them very much and uh, he complimented me on it and uh, so uh, Carl Struess was uh, a still cameraman then first still cameraman that uh, Mr. Wyckoff Mr. DeMille was uh, uh, engage was Carl Struess and he did nothing but to photograph mixed stills in those days and he had a lens he made it was called a Struess lens it was for, uh, soft focus and they had a lens called a Verito I think it was so uh, a man is still in town over in Highland Avenue his name is Deborah D. Gray an optician uh, I bought one of these uh, meniscus lens from him. It was dollar and a half. Mm -hmm. Had it mounted, and I used to make these soft focus uh, illustrations. And by stopping down a little more, I could make nice diffuse portraiture. Mm -hmm. Well, Miss Mary Miles Mender went by one day, and uh, I stopped her, and I had a couple of plates left, and I asked if I could make a portrait for her. She said, well, yes. And I made the couple of portraits and made enlargements 11 by 14 and on matte paper and uh, I gave them to her and she liked them very much she said oh could you make me look like this in the movies you think <laughs> and I said yes well it seemed like two three months went by I was called into the office by our studio manager mr. Charles Eiton a wonderful man, Charles Eiton. 
He says, Jimmy, he says, uh, you are now a first cameraman, so go down and get your camera. I was frightened. He said, uh, you're Mary Miles Minter's cameraman. She wants you as her cameraman. Oh, and I said, well, oh, I'm not ready uh, to be her cameraman. I, this was in, I think, a 20, latter part of 22 or early 23. And he said, well, he said, you said you could make her look beautiful. You better go down and see her. She wants us to talk to you. That uh, first uh, Minter film there was copyright in December 22. In other words, it was finished by then. You see it Drums of Fate, yeah, yes. Okay. Yes, okay. with Charles Maine. That's yeah, right. That that's my first picture. Yeah. Yes, it was uh, 1922. Yeah. So I went down and talked to Miss Minder, and she told me why she liked the portraits. She said because I had made her eyes go dark. She had, she had very light blue eyes, beautiful blonde hair. And uh, she said... Well, you made my eyes go dark. You're the only cameraman photographer who had made my eyes go dark the way I liked them. Mm -hmm. so the others are all washed out. Yeah. And besides, I have a couple of cat scratches on my forehead, she said, and you eliminated uh, the scratches. Now, I didn't realize how I made her eyes go dark. Uh, I, I found out way later that orthochromatic, uh, the blue went light, and that's how we never were able to get a white clouds in the blue sky mm -hmm. but until later years that the panchromatic that uh, we could filter and hold back the blue and separate the white and the blue mm -hmm. but I didn't realize how I made her eyes go dark so I wandered away and I was stunned I said my goodness how did I make her eyes go dark that seems to be if I don't make her eyes go dark I'm, I probably lose out and I wasn't aware that I, when I photographed her, what I did. Mm -hmm. I went back on the stage. Uh, we didn't have enclosed stages in those days. They were open stages, and some were covered with glass. Uh, we had diffusers, uh, white diffusers for diffuse white light. And then we had black diffusers if we want to shoot night scenes. Mm -hmm. And I went back, and I noticed up there was a white diffuser. Uh, I looked around, but in back, there was a big piece of velvet on the wall, and uh, someone had, I think Mr. DeMille, someone been making some uh, picture uh, with some double exposure work. And I looked at this wall, this great big piece of black velvet. So something came into my mind, I said, it must be that. And I went and got a little mirror, and I stood where she stood, uh, where I had her standing, and I remember I had two lights. Uh, they were quite high, and I stood there with this little mirror, and I reflected into this black velvet, and it went dark, and I would tip it, and I reflect up to the white diffuser, and it would be light. So. I thought, well, maybe that's it. It's a black velvet. Mm -hmm. Well, when I made Drums of Fate, the close-ups I made, I, I would always have a... I had a big frame made with a piece of black velvet. And I had a hole cut in it. This frame could raise up and down a little. And I put this the lens through this little hole. Well, 
it was quite a novelty that Miss Minna was set with this front of this black velvet with uh, very few lights we used. I used in those days for close-ups. And I would give orders, uh, instructions to set other lights. Instead of walking around this piece of velvet, I would just lift up the bottom and uh, here this, my face would appear and disappear. And uh, Now, she liked it very much because it was soothing to her yeah. with this black velvet. Uh, her eyes seemed to go darker. Now, I still don't know whether it's a result of the black velvet. I think yeah, nice idea. Nice idea. <laughs> sure. Well, Hollywood was a small community. People used to give parties, you know, and they had to... And then so it got around Hollywood that Mary Miles Minder had imported herself an oriental cameraman that photographed and hid behind a big piece of black velvet. It was quite a mystery, but whatever it did, it made her eyes go dark. Well, do you know, overnight I became a sensation. I became known in Hollywood was that the, the Mary Miles Minders <laughs> imported cameraman. Well, I made then trail on some pine, and I think later then uh, she left. Then I went with Herbert Brennan. But before she left, was there, uh, were you with her at the time that she decided not to do the covered wagon? Uh, did that come a little later? I think that came a little later. But I only did two films with her. I did the, the last one I did was the uh, Trail of Lonesome Pine. Yeah, I think it was the... Mm -hmm. That was directed yeah. by Charles Maine. Mm -hmm. um, then you went with Herbert Brennan. Then I went with Herbert Brennan. Uh, I think my first picture with Herbert Brennan was with, uh, I don't know, was a breaking point or whether it was with a Polo Negri picture. The, the list will show you the way they were released there. Oh, Drums of Fate, uh, Trail of Lonesome Pine, 23, Four Faces. Yes, that was the Brennan film. Yes. That one, then I did the woman with four faces. Yeah. That's right. Uh, then... It's possible, you know, that, that the films were not made in the order in which they were released. Once in a while, yeah, I did a big one, they'd hold that's it right, so that another one would come out ahead. But before I did Peter Pan, I did a picture with Paula Negri, Adolf Manju, uh, Wallace Berry, Gareth Hughes, Tony Marino, called uh, the Spanish Dancer. The Spanish Dancer. Yes. That's right, because Mary Pickford had made a picture called The Street Singer about the same time. It came out as Rosita. Yeah, Rosita. Yes. It was the same story, wasn't it? I think it was, yes. Just Only one was a dancer and the other one was a singer. Because of that, were you rushing production a little or not? Do you remember that or not? I think quite uh, Well, since these two pictures were, were nearing the market at approximately the same time, did, did that mean that you had to rush the Brennan production a little to try to... Well, I, 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 I wasn't quite aware of it, uh, if, if they were being rushed. Mm -hmm. But I remember we had big scenes yeah. out on the, uh, uh, the Lasky Ranch, as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'd work oh, long hours. Because mm -hmm. I remember one scene, particularly, 
we shot all night. Uh, we worked all night, but there's one that I took that we uh, photographed early in the morning when day breaking. Mm -hmm. And I told Mr. Brenner I didn't think it would be good because yeah. there's too much light. And it came out beautiful. Mm -hmm. But you could just see the surrounding country. And that was the first time uh, I was aware that you could take uh, early morning pictures. This was still fairly early in Paula Negri's American career, wasn't it? Yes. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know what other films she had made before. She had made maybe one or two one before two. that. Uh, uh, I've forgotten what they were. This is the first one you'd worked That's on. the first one. I made two with her, and then I made another one called The Charmer, yeah. with Sidney Alcott directing. Uh -huh. Well, at this uh, time, uh, did she understand English very well or not? Did she, have an interpreter? Uh, she, she understood quite well. She did? Yes, she did. Was she temperamental or was that just a legend? Well, uh, I think she, was, she wasn't really temperamental, but I think because she was a star, mm -hmm. and you know, we had Gloria Swanson there, and uh, there was quite a, they, they vibe with each other, mm -hmm. and I think it was more... Uh, uh, what they do in the profession, they call it the act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's a nice person. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, I, and a wonderful actress. Mm -hmm. In this, um, in the year 1923, I noticed that you also made a couple of um, westerns with Richard Dix, both of which Victor Fleming uh, directed. One was To the Last Man, and the other was A Call of the Canyon, both by Zane Gray. Did you go on location for Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Call of the Canyon, uh, I think we went up to uh, the Tonto Rim. Mm -hmm. No, that did that was the name of the Under picture. Tonto Under the Tonto Rim. Yeah. Uh, Colorado Canyon. We went down to uh, uh, Flagstaff, and we were the first one to work in uh, uh, this canyon down there. Now uh, it's called Oak Creek Canyon. Mm -hmm. and it's nearby there, where uh, many of the location people go now. Mm -hmm. I remember working that. It was with Richard Dix. Yeah, I've forgotten. Uh, Lois Wilson. Lois Wilson. Dahl. That's Margie Dahl. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And then the, uh, then I did also the Rough Riders with Mr. Fleming. Yeah, that was about 1925, wasn't it? It was released in 27. You might have oh. done it in 26 or 25. Yeah, know, somewhere probably in 26, probably, yes. Yeah. Then, let us see, I noticed that the breaking point is listed here, too, with Herbert Brennan. You did quite a few with him, didn't you? Yes, I did then quite a number. Sideshow of Life and mm -hmm. the Alaskan. And Moment of Four Faces. Yes, Moment of Four Faces. Yes. And then I did the Sorrel and Son. That was later. That was right? later, yep. yes. That was in now 27. Tell me a little bit about making Peter Pan, because we've got a print of that at Eastman House. Oh, Peter Pan. That was a wonderful assignment. Uh, I had taken... Uh, I was on my vacation. Uh, I was in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. Uh when I heard a uh, newspaper I read that Betty Bronson was chosen to be Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And there were quite a number of the stars in those days, even like Gloria Swanson wanted to play Peter Pan. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think at that time it was a search for Peter Pan, like uh, Selznick had a search for Gone with the Wind. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Betty Bronson, and I came back, and I remember making the test, and we made a test of a young girl named Mary Bryan, mm -hmm. 
like Wendy. The, 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 the excitement in making Peter Pan, uh, not only in photographing with these kids, I got along with them very well. Uh, Mr. Brennan was very stern. He's from the old school of, uh, <laughs> uh, of theater, and uh, sometimes he'd be a little harsh with the children, and they got a little frightened them. Uh, so they, he, he noticed that I got along very well with them because I participate with them in their mm -hmm. games. and, and uh, so a lot of times he would ask me to tell the kids wh what to do, you see. Mm -hmm. And the kids, uh, I got along very well. Uh, we have a, had a boat, an old sailing boat that's been rebuilt uh, with a, another deck on top of the original deck to look like a pirate ship. Mm -hmm. Well, they towed this boat, the ship, over to uh, Santa Cruz Island. And we were working on this with uh, all the children and Ernest Torrance and the uh, whole crew. And uh, around 3 o'clock comes a storm brewing. Excuse me. Um, the boat kept drifting closer to shore. And it was danger that um, it would get on the rocks. So we had the, the, the tug that was pulling it, kept pulling it out. And it got so rough, we couldn't work anymore, and we took all the children, Mr. Torrance, Mr. Brennan, and uh, the women, the mothers, all off, and they got them ashore. After that, it got so rough, we couldn't get a, a, a rowboat near the boat. So the rest of the members of the crew, the staff, stayed on the boat. Mm -hmm. And we would just pull out in the middle of the channel, and we start drifting. The storm, oh, was awful storm, and these, uh, we drifted all night long, and I remember the, that we had the gas generator on the boat, and the barrels of gasoline that we used, they start rolling, and it knocked some of the sidings off. Hmm. Uh, we broke two or three tow lines. Finally, this cunning, uh, the captain was on there, and his name was Cunning, uh, uh, Captain Cunningham, I remember. And we drifted one way down to a point they called Dead Man's Point. And it was, must have been around 4.30 in the morning. And he said, well, if this tow rope breaks, he said, he called everybody together. He says, I can't do much for you. The tug can't come over. He said, all I can advise you, you people, get your life preserver, or if you don't have one, get a piece of lumber, anything. He said, if this tow line breaks, we're in trouble. And my goodness, it was awful. People got hysterical. Fortunately, the tow line held. Mm -hmm. And we just missed this point. And then it drifted into this bay around about, oh, six o'clock. Then they drove over six or seven from this camp mm -hmm. and took us back. But that was very uh, 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 exciting moment. Mm -hmm. The danger of that. How did you do uh, Tinkerbell? Oh, that that's that. I'm glad you asked me that because that that's very interesting. Uh, Mr. Brennan, I said before, is from the theater, and he had seen Maud Adams do uh, uh, Peter Pan, mm -hmm. and he said on the stage we use a mirror. He said they use the mirror to reflect Tinkerbell. 
Well, I said to Mr. Brennan, I said, look, Mr. Brennan, a mirror, we have to reflect it on a surface before you can see it. Yeah. Uh, if it was a smooth surface, it would be uh, smooth, but if it was a broken surface, you just, it'd be broken pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, it never be, could be consistent. You want a constant light. I want a constant yeah. light. Okay. I said, do you know, I, the thing to do, I want to hook an automobile headlight bulb on a fine wire and put it on a, uh, on a trout pole and have a man work that. He says, oh, that's impossible. You would never photograph that little bulb. And I said, well, I think that's the only way to do it. I don't want to sound obstinate, but that's the only way to do it. Reflecting uh, a mirror, you can't make it in the center of the room. It's just not right. And it finally got to Mr. Eiton. Uh, and uh, I, I was kind of uh, stubborn about it. And he was uh, very uh, adamant about doing it with a mirror. So it, it finally got to Mr. Eiton. Mr. Eiton says, look, Herbert, why don't you let Jimmy try it? See, if it doesn't work, he said, we'll go back to the mirror. And so I had my electrician wire this little automobile headlight bulb um, and hung it on a fine, uh, this fine wire from a trout pole and uh, the grip, I've forgotten his name now, I think it was Jack Burke or someone uh, could just maneuver this thing. He had a wonderful um, movement with this pole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I hung a little Christmas tinsel, now this little uh, silver tinsel on it, it looked like a little skirt and it reflected this light and gave it movement. Mm -hmm. um, and then we put it on a little dimmer so that it would breathe, and, you know, you could oh, see yeah, the light yeah, breathe and yeah. go into the little, uh, the little uh, va uh, uh, vase that was on yes, the, some place. Yeah, yes. and it would fly through the air. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how we got the Tinkerbell, and oh, it was wonderful. And of course you used uh, Virginia, what's her name? Virginia, uh, oh uh, yes, Fair Brown. Fair Brown. Brown Fair. Yeah, Virginia Brown Fair. Virginia Brown Fair. She used her name in different orders. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> she played the, the smaller one. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, uh, that trick stuff was done by uh, Mr. Uh, Roy Pomeroy, oh, who yes. did the parting of the Red Sea for the first Ten Commandments for Mr. DeMille. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did the little uh, Tinkerbell one. It was in the house. Mm -hmm. But, oh, that, that created a wonderful audience reaction when, when Tinkerbell was dying. And then Peter Pan says, now, if you believe in the fairies, all uh, clap your hands. Yeah. Uh, and people just in the audience yeah. really clapped yeah. their hands. It was wonderful. They do still in Rochester, you know. They do? Sure they do. Oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd love to see that picture someday. Oh, come on up and see it. Oh, I w next time I come, I'm going to ask you to run that for me, sure, George. Of course, Jimmy. Oh. It's beautiful, even now. Just beautiful. And Torrance is superb. Yes, as Captain oh, Hook. Marvelous. Captain Hook. Oh, my. <laughs> And the mermaids, I remember the mermaids we had over there, and they, they had to paint the, their body with this uh, oil paint, some kind, so the, they wouldn't come off. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they had this long hair, and all these girls uh, used to swim in that cold water. I, I really admire them, how they, 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 they played their part. Mm -hmm. Captain Hook. Ernest now, Torrance. Now let me see, a little bit after this, you must have made... Um Oh, you did The Charmer with Sidney Alcott, which yes. you've already mentioned. Then I think you did another film with him called The Best People. That's right, with uh, Betty Bronson was in that. Or Esther Ralston. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, oh, I, no, I, I'm, 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 uh, I 
I have this out of sequence. Not so long ago is the one you're thinking of. Oh, that's right. Not that so long ago. Piece, yes, that's a costume. I remember yeah. it was about uh, making the first uh, fire engine or automobile or something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Something like that. Then we did Best People with Esther Ralston. Yeah. And then around November was released a film called The King on Main Street. This is pretty yes. well received, wasn't it? Yes, that was wonderful received. It was directed by uh, the late Montabelle. Uh, was done in the Long Island studios, of famous players, Adolf Manjou. Uh, I, uh, that was a wonderful film. The ending of it, he did it in color. Uh, it was a very exciting thing. We went to Coney Island, took the king and the, to ride this roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to mount the camera on the front seat and I had to ride backwards, going down this roller coaster and trying to crank 16 frames per second was really uh, exciting. Hanging on, and, and Adolf Manju and Bessie Love were in the front seat and a lot of the extra people in the back. Well, making one trip, and Mr. Manju said, that's enough. He said, if it's not good, we won't do it anymore. Regardless, it was wonderful, exciting. Very good. Wasn't there a Charleston sequence in that, too, in Bessie Love? Yes, there was a Charleston sequence. Now, let me see. Now we're in 1926, and among the things you did that year were the Song and Dance Man with... Uh, Herbert Brennan. And Tom Moore. Yes. Seahorses, directed by Alan, Alan Tron. Yeah. Then I did another film with Ernest Torrance uh, uh, back in there after Song and Dance Man uh, with Herbert Brennan. It's a, f a circus picture. Oh, that was uh, the sideshow. The sideshow of life. That's mm -hmm. right. Yes. And then I think after that I came back and did Seahorses with Alan Dwan, mm -hmm. with Jack Holt, and uh, William Powell was in it, and Florence Vitor. Mm -hmm. How uh, do you remember much about William Powell in those days? Well, I, I, I if I remember, William Powell played uh, I think a secondary part, and uh, the Seahorses. And he looked like he played the uh, outcast of the from some island, and looked like a beachcomber to me. Mm -hmm. yes. And he made up. I remember him kind of crawling on this sand, the beach. Uh, I, I I didn't notice anything unusual mm -hmm. yes. uh, about William Powell in those days. Yes. But uh, he turned out to be a fine actor, and I did The Thin Man with him, mm -hmm. with Myrna Loy. That's the very first Thin Man, yes. years later. Then uh, in, in August, there was released a film called Padlocked, also by Alan Dwan with Lois Moran. Yes. And then in uh, toward the latter part of August, uh, Clara Bow's Man Trap. Man Trap. Yes. Oh, that was a wonderful film. Yeah. I, I enjoyed doing that. making that. Did you go on location? Yes, we went up to Arrowhead, mm -hmm. Lake Arrowhead. I think that was the last film I, I, I did with uh, Clara Bow. Mm -hmm. She did others. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed working with Victor Fleming. Uh, gee, I learned a great deal from Mr. Fleming in working with him. Mm -hmm. And he, had, uh, he would let me do things, and we used to go out and look for locations together, and, uh, and uh, we talked, and uh, I, had, I had good schooling from Mr. Fleming. He took an interest in me my work and I was uh, always uh, want to do challenging things, mm -hmm. do things with filters and so on and out of the unusual. And we made, uh, on the Rough Riders, I think the first kind of a camera dolly 
we made our little uh, airplane wheels with a counterbalance post in the center that held two Bell and Howe cameras that could be just lift up, up and down easily. Uh, and it was, it uh, was finally published, uh, it was published in the Popular Mechanics. Uh, I think it was one of the forerunners of the, uh, the Crane Dolly in those days. By the way, I meant to ask you, did, uh, in those days when there was an unusual foreign film that came over to this country, would the studio ever arrange a screening of it for you people so that you could uh, notice the, uh, the camera work or anything like that, or the lighting and its effects? No, I, I don't remember as such that we, they would run the film for us. Uh, you see, in the early, around in the latter part of the 20s, uh, middle 20s, uh, the UFA, uh, they made some wonderful films that came over. I remember the first one was uh, Lubitsch directed uh, I've forgotten whether it was Passion or uh, Polo Nigger was in it. Okay. Passion. Then they had a, uh, uh, the, 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 the cabin of Dr. Calgary and then there came The Last Laugh and uh, uh, and they had great camera movement, fine camera, and variety. And variety yeah. Oh, yes, with DuPont directing. Yeah. And Carl Freund did some wonderful camera work in those uh, mm -hmm. film. And that set a pattern of camera movement. Uh, the, the, the producers in the studios uh, just to try to move the camera more. Mm -hmm. And then the, that's when the, the cameras got on wheels. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, however, uh, I'm quite sure uh, there have been times before, previous, that the uh, directors would move cameras mm -hmm. and, you know, a dolly, but not as, uh, as much as until uh, the German films came over. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the Rough Riders must have occupied you for quite a while, didn't it? Yes. Didn't it take months? To That's, make yes, or? it took quite a long time uh, to make the Rough Riders. Uh, Did you actually go to Cuba for that? Or no, we went to... Uh, Cuba was made right here... Um, on the hill out of uh, Pico someplace. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the Wild West things, uh, I mean, the, uh, where they recruited was down in Texas, San Antonio. Mm -hmm. I remember Mr. Fleming had 400 wild horses and they advertised for riders. Everybody came, they wanted to get in movies, they thought they could ride the wild horses. And this fairground, I still have a still picture where they turn on lose 400 wild horses with these riders and I never seen so many riders in the air at one time. Anyone <laughs> <laughs> get hurt? Oh yes, oh my yes. A lot of people got hurt. Dust and... Now I, and then, I don't know what I did after that. Carl and Son came out after the Rough Riders. I don't know whether you yes. finished it before or not. Well now I tell you there was a... I went to the Orient, uh, I think in somewhere around 27? No, that's oh, after Sorrell and Son, that's right. I, I did Sorrell and Son. We went to England. Uh, was that done in England? Uh, the locations. Oh. Uh, the interiors was uh, uh, shot here at the, they called United Studios in those days. Mm -hmm. It's now the Goldwyn Studios. Mm -hmm. We went location over to London uh, with uh, Mary Nolan, Nils Astor, H.B. Uh, Warner, and a little boy named Mickey Moran. I know it's Mickey. I think it's Nicky Moran. Or 
was a child actor. Wasn't Anna Q. Nelson in that? Yes, she was in it. Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't go over to England with us now. Mm -hmm. um, did, did you find that um, how were studio conditions in England? Were they approximately equal to studio conditions here? Were they At that time, no, they weren't. No, uh, they, they, they hadn't been doing uh, much then. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, as much as we were. Uh, of course, th this was in the. We made a lot of movies in those days, uh, over here. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I imagine at that period we'd make over 400 films a year. Mm -hmm. Did the fog give you trouble in, in England? Or not? No, we were on there in the. I think it was uh, in the spring, mm -hmm. and it was with beautiful soft light. I remember. It was a little mist, and it gave us another perspective. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it uh, would have this nice, clear foreground, and you get the kind of misty look, like we used to try to get here by stretching a huge piece of gauze between our foreground and the background, mm -hmm. and then uh, having the sun hit it. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't have to use artificial means over there. No, that was uh, that was wonderful. Now, let me see, then uh, April 1928, Laugh Clown Laugh was released. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, Is that the one time you worked with Lon Chaney? That was uh, one time I did, with Lon, I worked with Lon Chaney. I don't know if I did any more with him or not. I don't think so. I don't see any more. No, Laugh Clown Laugh was the only time I worked. That was Herbert Brennan. Yes. What was he like? Was he a rather distant sort of person? Who? Chaney. Oh, no, he's wonderful. Oh, he was so wonderful on his makeup. I remember at that time, that was Loretta Young's first picture, right. too. She was only about 15. And Mr. Cheney and I, we became quite friendly. Because uh, he knows I experimented, and, uh, and he, he, he was trying to get her makeup. He found a, some kind of a skin he called onion skin. Uh, he put on his face and took all the wrinkles out, made him all oh, look years younger. Mm -hmm. He had to look young in the early stages mm -hmm. because uh, the, uh, the leading lady uh, was only 14 or 15, Loretta. Yeah. Um, so he uh, found this onion skin, Lon Chaney, and he put this wonderful makeup on. Oh, he's a fine artist. Great, nice man, mm -hmm. good man, always experimenting. Did he work closely with you about the lines? Yes, and so on and so forth yes. And he, he was the only actor I knew that could stand in front of a camera, and no matter what lens I, I put on, I would tell him what lens it was. He could step off and give me the sidelines at any distance from the, 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 the camera. You know exactly what he knew exactly. He says, here, I'm cut in half, and here's your other sideline over here. Yeah. He knew so well. Then, let's see, then there are a couple pictures that were released in August. One was called Four Walls with John Gilbert and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford, yes. These are days just before sound came in. Yes, and mm -hmm. then uh, the next one was called The Perfect Crime. Now, there's, remember the doing Perfect that Crime, that's one that I think Burt Glennon directed yes. it for, uh, for RKO, was it? Yes, RKO uh, Studios. At least, I think, FBO. FBO, oh yeah, that's right, film booking. That was Clive Brook and Irene. Mm -hmm. Rich. Uh, how about working with Joan Crawford? Was she still learning in those days? Yes, but she was a very good trooper. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in one particular scene, uh, she was sitting there and she was 
crocheting or knitting something and I heard her say that she was making something for curtains for a house that they're going to move in and she was uh, and Doug Jr. were going to get married mm -hmm. uh, she'd sat there been, uh, knitting and Mr. Nice says alright uh, Joan let's come do the scene and she'd get right up and do a crying scene without any effort wonderful girl. John Gilbert was a person nice to work with. It's too bad that uh, his voice wasn't just right for sound and I think it was partly, uh, of course it was the uh, uh, first sound and, and they had technical problems in sound. I'm quite sure that if Mr. Gilbert today and that's advanced now they wouldn't have any trouble you feel with it was their voice. own inexperience in recording it. yes yeah, so that and then also mr gilbert's voice too had a little bit i'm quite sure now with his voice they could overcome uh, these things now with the mm -hmm. uh, perfection of sound recording and the microphones there's quite a gap in here jimmy in your credits i'm talking about 1928-29. I think uh, Perfect Crime was released August 19th, 1928. Mm -hmm. And then uh, something called Desert Nights came out in March of 1929. And then there's a long gap again until November of 1930, when you made a picture called Today, directed by William Nye for Majestic. Were, at this period, were you in the Orient, do you think? Yes. Maybe we're lacking I, some credits. No. I think that you're, the credits are right. I. I Right after I uh, finished Laugh, Clown, Laugh, I believe, yeah. or the, the Nye films, I took a trip to the Orient. I thought it was somewhere around the latter part, uh, somewhere in 1928. Could have been 28. They yeah. might have held up that desert night. Yes, 28. Maybe. And uh, I had been wanting to go back to China uh, for a long time because I came over in 1904. Mm -hmm. And by the way, uh, uh, George, you know, yesterday I was naturalized. Yes, I saw the advertisement yeah, uh -huh. this morning. I read it right. Uh, I was, uh, uh, it's just been a long time coming. Uh, of course, it's a long story. First of all, uh, people that was born in China, immigration laws, uh, for many years we couldn't be naturalized, you see, until after the Second World War. So after the Second World War, it made it possible. So I'm very happy because uh, I've been living as an American citizen all these years, and mm -hmm. now that I got it in writing, I feel wonderful about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can go out and vote now. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I I, um, uh, I went to uh, China uh, for a trip, and uh, I thought I'd take a camera along. Uh, I was gone about oh four or five months. Uh, I want to do a little documentary film mm -hmm. over there, but uh, I shot the film, but I didn't have enough experience as a filmmaker, uh, or in other words, as a director, mm -hmm. to get my material together right. So all I came back with was about fifteen or twenty thousand feet of film, uh, shot haphazardly. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it shot well, but I didn't have the continuity yeah. uh, in order. Yeah. Um, I tried to do something with this film, uh, put together, try to make travelogues, uh, but they weren't, uh, they were Fitzpatrick, and they had better travelogues. Mm -hmm. So I was out for a while, and that's the reason 
the lack of credits. Mm -hmm. I didn't do much work because I was concentrating on this China project. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Fleming was very much interested that I would go over there. But not until many years later, uh, uh, Mr. Fleming and Mr. Fairbanks made a little film called 80 Minutes or around something. The world. Around the world. And 80 minutes. Uh, yeah, something like that. And they, yeah. he remembered I had some of that China uh, film and he used some of that in there. Oh, and then uh, Von Sternberg made the Shanghai Express and they used some of my uh, films, background. We have, we have a print of Shanghai Express uh, in the house. Oh, you have? Where it's used, you well, some of the countryside, uh, they used the process where the train was Off going the train. by. Yeah, the countryside scenes. Uh -huh. um, that, that's what they used some of that. Uh -huh. Well, that accounts for my uh, gap there in my credits. Uh -huh. I, uh, I spent a whole year. Now, I come back and sound had come in. So it'd been early 29 then. Or sound came in late 28, well, didn't it? I, I left when Song was just coming in. Yeah, so I think well, your first all-talking picture, and that was way ahead of the others, was, uh, uh, what was it, New York, uh, The Lights of New York. But and that was in 1927. But it took a little while for the industry to... Oh. You remember? Then then gradually in 1928, they get a few sounds. By 1930, on Who was in The uh, Lights of New York? Did um, I do a picture well, call? Helene? No, it isn't on your, on your credits. I'm no. just talking about the... The first sound film, not yours. Oh, I see. The first all talk. That's the all talkie. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Costello and so forth. Now my first all talkie was transatlantic, wasn't or it? Or was it the Criminal Code? Oh, the Criminal Code. I think that was the sound film. Yes, yeah. sound Criminal Code. That must have been made uh, in the latter part of 1930 because it was re it was reviewed that's in January right. of 31. Yes. 1930. Oh, uh, this is very amusing, uh, George, and this is the thing that happens in the industry quite often. <coughs> um, I've come back from China now, and sound is in. Yeah. Now it's quite a mystery. Oh, to make a sound picture. Well, I'd go for a, a job and they would say, have you done anything in sound? I said, no. They said, well, it's changed. It's altogether different now. And I went uh, quite a number of months without making a film. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's a criminal code... It may have been... To, well, how about that Nye film with Conrad Nagel and Catherine Dale Owen today? Was that your first one? That was released in November of 30. That might have been... That, that could be. Yeah. We made that in nine days. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. We made that in nine days yeah. for Harry Sherman, Pop Sherman. Yeah. Uh, yes, today it was. That was my first talkie. I remember we made it in nine days, oh. and I had to make that film to prove that I could have a credit, mm -hmm. a talkie. Yeah. Now I could have made Criminal Code after that, yeah. but my first outstanding talking film was Trans with Transatlantic yeah. William K. Howard. Mm -hmm. uh, there I used uh, all the way through that film. I used the wide angle. 24 millimeter lens, mm -hmm. uh, not any, there wasn't a lens used any wider than a 35. Mm -hmm. uh, it created quite an interest mm -hmm. uh, on that film because it was, uh, had the deep focus, uh, stopped down a little with a wide angle, we carried focus quite well, and a forced perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and working with William K. Howard was quite an experience, and we went all out, uh, he and I, we worked together very closely. 
on Transatlantic, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember because he said he needed a good film. Mm -hmm. uh, then I did quite. Everybody had to reestablish himself. Reestablish. That's right. When Sam came in, so I got reestablished by Transatlantic. Then I did the Power and the Glory and the Picture Called Surrender and. I can remember seeing a film called The Yellow Ticket. The Yellow Ticket. Yes, that's right. I did that with Raoul Walsh. Yes. With Alicia Landy and and the first film that. Uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier, I think, worked yes, in, yes. and John Barrymore, on yeah. Lionel Barrymore, rather. Yeah. That's right. I remember that film, Yellow Ticket. Excellent acting performance. Yes. Then let me see. Dance Team, you stop me if you want to say something. Dance Team, you. yes, I did that with Jimmy Dunn and uh, Sally Eilers. After Tomorrow. Yes, that's Am right. After Tomorrow, I remember that one. Amateur Daddy, mm -hmm. Man About Town. Chandra the Magician. Yes. Now here's what I'm interested in. Hello, sister. Hello, yes. sister. Yes. That was, was it. Walking down Broadway. Which was the which was the. Or Walking down Broadway. Von Sternberg. Uh, Von Stroheim. Von Stroheim. Well, they released it called uh, uh, Hello, sister. Hello, then. sister. Yeah. Well, it was no. originally called Walking Down Broadway. No. Which did which version did you do? Did you do the original? Film original. With with the Von Stroheim. Tell me about that. Well. Oh, that was the most wonderful experience I had. I, I heard this fabulous von Stroheim. Now, I I never thought I would ever get to work with Mr. von Stroheim, and I've always been my ambition to work with him. I'm calling the office, and I'm told I'm going to do a picture with von Stroheim. Oh, I was awed when I first met him, and uh, we had a dance sequence. He said, Jimmy. He said, I want this camera to dance, like the dancers. I said, I don't know how to do that. I said, we put it on the dolly and move around. He said, that's too smooth. We don't get the rhythm. And he said, look, here's a light stand here, three-legged light stand with little wheels on it that we would hold our lamps. He said, put the camera on that, and we take that, and we, you move that with a tune of the music. Well, I did. And he thought it was wonderful. Other people in the studio, the authority producers, uh, they didn't quite like it. They said there was too much uh, movement. Mm -hmm. But he says, I want this picture photographed. He says, like, he said, we really should go to New York and s sit there in New York and photograph in the real places. Mm -hmm. Like I did greed, he said. I went to San Francisco and had dentist's office there, and we, we did the real things. He said, that's the way it should be made. Mm -hmm. He said, these movie sets, they look like movie sets. He said, we've got to make them so they don't look like movie sets. Mm -hmm. um, how, did, how did he uh, direct the, the players? Was, was he very meticulous with them? Very meticulous. Yeah. Oh, the detail. Mm -hmm. And, oh, uh, Boots Mallory, I remember he had a scene with her. He wanted to cry. And it was she was standing in a door and it was raining and oh he 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 really slapped her hard to make her cry mm -hmm. and uh, Zazu Pitts when she was in the hospital and um, when she got burned in this fire I remember uh, he was detailed he had doctors there to show how they would try to you know uh, to uh, to uh, treat the uh, mm -hmm. burned people yeah. wounded mm -hmm. and he had a sheet covered and we had a, a, a shield made a kind of a hood made with uh, light bulbs in it mm -hmm. and uh, this 
hood was covered over uh, uh, <coughs> Zazu pits, mm -hmm. and over that they put a sheet over. And with these lights burning, it was very uh, unusual, mm -hmm. and she would be under this uh, kind of a hood, mm -hmm. and it was. Uh, he lay that scene was in Christmas. Mm -hmm. It was snowing outside, and he'd have the nurse all the sisters go by with candles in their hand, mm -hmm. singing uh, Holy Night, and you know, it was very, very moving, uh, effective. Um, and the realistic scenes uh, he had, the detail that man went through, um, I don't think that in latter years he was uh, appreciated. Uh, he was one of the, oh, one of the fine artists I felt that I worked with, had the opportunity. Even if uh, Walking Down Broadway had been released in its original form, did you, f did, uh, was von Stroheim shooting some footage that would never have gotten past the censors? Yes, it was uh, rather, what kind looking at it now, it was rather <coughs> crude. It was very suggestive mm -hmm. scenes. Uh, I would say uh, one scene in particular where um, the girl and the boy were looking through the skylight in, the, in this tenement district. Uh, I think it was Jimmy Dunn and Boots Mallory, and they were standing on the steps, and uh, from the, the upper part of the torso was uh, over the roof, and they're looking out to the sky light of, skyline of New York, and then the lower part they were showed standing on the steps, and um, Zazu Pitts uh, came in and she'd been shopping. Uh, in a delicatessen store mm -hmm. to buy some cheese and things <coughs> and, and uh, she would she came in, she looked up and she saw this boy standing there and this girl. all she could see was two pair of uh, legs. And uh, she felt somewhat stunned, and she would drop the packages. And out of the package, uh, Mr. Van Stroheim picked up, followed with the camera, was this uh, dill pickle. Mm. It, uh, he uses uh, as a symbolical thing, yeah. as, a, as a, uh, we would uh, call it. A, you know, it's a uh, sex organ. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was kind of crude, and, uh, and uh, uh, but in other respects, uh, he was very good. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, I don't know how this got into his mind. Uh, the opening of the film, uh, they couldn't use. Uh, we opened, I remember, on a loudspeaker on a penny dance, and we dollied back and down and came down the stairs amongst a lot of people from this dance with the two boys, Terry Ray and Jimmy Dunn. They're walking down the street and as they walk down, uh, they stopped by a window and here was uh, someone demonstrating a folding bed and the next stop was uh, 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 a peanut uh, stand, popcorn with uh, hot nuts. And then they walked by another place, uh, was a baby window showed little baby infant's wear. And then uh, the next place was a drugstore, a pharmacy. And then we panned right across from the drugstore 
across the street was the clinic. Well, on the way, they met the two girls, Boots Mallory and Zazu Pitts, and they made their dates. Well, that was the opening of the picture. You know, that was completely cut even before he got oh. started, probably. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't know. Now, after that, he didn't do any more films. Uh, Mr. Waltz, I think, had to do the film over. And I'd go up and visit Mr. Von Stroheim in his home. I've forgotten where it was, out here in, uh, near Bel Air someplace. And they had taken all the furniture away from him. And he was all alone in this living huge living room. All he had was there was a couch and a fireplace that he was burning newspapers and magazines, you see, to keep a little warmth. And he told me, he says, Jimmy, he says, uh, I sit here and I hear voices coming through that fireplace. And he says, just the other day, a voice came through and told me to go to a certain address over on Beachwood Drive. And I went over there. I've forgotten how exactly he, and told this lady that to expect either her husband or someone that was coming back. And he was hearing things, he said, spiritual things that was coming through this fireplace. Was he very extravagant on this production? Was there anything that should have alarmed the, the Yes, about he was extravagant. He he wanted his extravagant was not unreasonable. It seems to me, only that he wanted uh, detail mm -hmm. and perfection. Everything exactly so. Exactly so. That's where his extravagant mm -hmm. uh, came in. Mm -hmm. he, I, he wasn't extravagant in in any other ways. Normally, like uh, he would. Uh, he would shoot the film until he thought it was right. He would make a lot of takes. Mm -hmm. But he was really uh, neither one of detail. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I, I thought well, it wouldn't show. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing, though, it did do. It, it had an effect on the players. Yes. It even had an effect on me mm -hmm. uh, in lighting because it made me uh, try to get more of a, a realistic type of photography. Uh, which, uh, you know, was lacking in, 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 uh, in one phase of our, uh, our, our photographic uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. work. We'd gone off into kind of a soft focus yeah. uh, period at one time. He was bringing it back to sharpness. Yes, sharpness. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, did they take him off the film before he finished it, or did he finish it? approximately the way he wanted it, and then they reshot it. I, I think he finished it. He did. But they had a lot of trouble. They had a lot of trouble with Would it. Would there be fights on the set, or what? Well, uh, they, they didn't have it so much on the set as they had it in the office, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that, gee, I, I don't know, that the man was really uh, quite an experience for me to work with. I, I learned a great deal from him. Uh, in many respects, uh, he always uh, he uh, he always carried his flask, and he was very uh, 
uh, free with it, give it to people, and uh, uh, that's one thing. If one had any weakness to it, it was dangerous in that respect. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're shooting this rain sequence. Oh, it rained very hard with fire hoses. We had a fire in the back lot, and they had to call out the uh, Beverly Hills Fire Department standby. And, uh, and it was cold, and I thought that would account for some of his drinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they told me that wasn't uh, wasn't that he he usually always carried a flask and coal. Mm -hmm. But one th thing that was interesting that uh, we New York streets. He said, you know, New York streets are always being dug up, and he'd have them dug up, and he had lanterns sitting there, and he'd have red lanterns, he had red globes, and he said, Jimmy, I would love to just have this whole scene in black and white, but the lanterns. I like to have them in red. Mm -hmm. He said there's a hand shekel process where they would could do it by hand, paint each lantern red. And when the fire department comes, I want all their lights, the spotlights, mm -hmm. and their lights be red. But everything else black and white. Mm -hmm. They would they wouldn't let him do it, of course. Yeah. But those are the, his some of his ideas. He'd used in those some days. pinning before like that when he was making greed. Yeah, I, I think he did. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I meant to ask you, and this takes you back quite a ways, and you. Uh, whether Edwin S. Porter had retired by the time that you were around, uh, well, that was Famous Players anyway. You were at Lasky, weren't you? Yes, I was at Lasky. Yes, he had, I think, retired. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you ever have any contact with him? No, I didn't, no. No. I, 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 I really didn't get into the real early days of, of Hollywood. I think they first came here. Uh, as I understand, around 1912 or 13. Mm -hmm. I, I think last game, DeMille came out in 13. Yes. I meant to ask you also about the directors Stiller and uh, Murnau. Did you have ever have any contact with them? Um, I met Stiller, no contact, or Murnau. No. no. Um, I, did, uh, uh, I did work for, with Victor's system. Oh, over in England, uh, uh, that a film that I finished, that he started called "Ride the Red," something about the red robe. Under the red. Under robe. the red robe. Yes. yes uh, another that. boy started it, and I finished it with him. Mm -hmm. uh, Stiller. Yeah. Victor. No, I mean Victor Sistrom. Yes. That's right. Now let me see. You mentioned doing the power and, and the glory with William K. Howard. Mm -hmm. With Spe Spencer Tracy. Yes. Colleen Moore. Mm -hmm. And Beauty for Sale, you did with Boleslavsky. Boleslavsky. In 1934, your films were The Show Off, Hollywood Party, Viva Villa, Manhattan Melodrama. Ooh, you were busy in this year, weren't you? Yes. Thin Man. Thin Man. Well, we made Thin Man in 16 days, two days retake, and then right two, three days later, we made Manhattan Melodrama in 22 days. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Clark Gable, yeah. Wim Powell, and Myrna Loy. Mm -hmm. really they were both very successful pictures. Mr. Van Dyke, oh, he... 9 o'clock, the cameras would be turning. 12 o'clock, they'd go to lunch, come back at 1, and 5 o'clock, he'd go home. And he'd get his day's work done. <laughs> he was a fast worker. Uh, 